This is yours. This is ours. This is mine. What's up and welcome to Minds. I'm your host, Jay Hernandez, and I want to start off by saying that I've been feeling pretty good lately, ever since I got everything uh, from the last episode off my chest. It'd been brewing around for a while, because uh, as I'd said, I'd gone through a, sort of a funk, and uh, yeah, just kind of hit a low, but at the same time I kept myself busy. I tried to uh, familiarize myself with some activities that uh, that had been kind of tickling the back of my mind lately. And finally I made some decisions to just go ahead and start uh, doing a lot of different kind of writing. I started experimenting with writing jokes, which uh, you know I hope to share with you guys sometime in the near future. I'm just kind of putting it out there right now just to kind of put the proverbial fire under my ass and really just yeah, commit to it and not try to keep it a secret and then come with some big presentation or some uh, just obscure surprise moments that you guys aren't really going to know what's going on and what kind of context to put it in. So that being said, I'm in the process of writing jokes. I'm following a the, the comedy book by uh, Judy Carter, I believe it is. And the step that I sort of left off on was to find a comedy buddy and I did that today. I texted my sister-in-law's boyfriend, and, you know, he's he's a pretty funny guy. You know, he's sort of the straight guy type, and I can tell he's got a, a latent sense of humor that he, that he kind of keeps keeps at the hip and chimes in when he feels the right time. And, and I, I've always noticed that. I've kind of kept it in the back of my head. So I put myself out there, kind of... Uh, Exposed myself a little bit. Haven't really told too many people other than uh, than my wife and a couple of choice friends that I know aren't going going to circulate any sort of information. Not that it's going to really get that far, and that it would have any sort of effects on my personal life or uh, or how people think about me. I know there's a bunch that uh, know that I'm just sort of flailing about in my mid thirties, trying to figure it all out. A little too late, but hey. You never know, right? This comedy thing is something that's kind of been with me for my entire life. From childhood, I can remember little um, bits and pieces of uh, some stand-ups that I saw. I remember at a young age, I came about, me and my buddy, we were stealing things out of a car and came upon this, uh, this tape that turned out to be a comedy tape by the name of uh, John Valby up for re-erection. Now, it took me a while to trace it back to exactly who it was because for the longest time, I believed it was George Carlin just by the style of uh, the humor and the perceivable age of the person that, that we kind of came up with in our heads. Uh, but I was proven wrong. I researched it recently and want to get my hands on it, but that was one of the earliest exposure of, uh, of comedy album Album-wise, you know, I'd, I'd seen stand-up, I understood uh, late-night shows, and, you know, could 
tap into or just I guess just the momentum of the shows I was easily able to lock into and, and understand what was going on and the different variety uh, aspects of the show were entertaining and uh, you know it all had a very good fluid movement to it and I understood it and it made me feel good but it was always you know what what pulled at me was always the fact that I always felt that I could do that I if I could just break out of my shell kind of get out of my way come out of myself a little bit that I could absolutely man a stage like that I could uh really just take the reins um deal with anything that comes up in the moment and put myself into it and then a little later a few years after that I'd caught the Eddie Izzard special Dress to Kill which just floored me just the the style of the comedy the the pace at which he delivered it um, the fact that he is a transgender male um, kinda just puts you off immediately and then he, you know, if you go with him, he takes you on quite an interesting ride, you know, even doing comedy in different languages and stuff like that. And then what truly dropped the bomb was John Leguizamo's uh, Freak, which I was introduced to by uh, my, my close friend at the time, uh, Dave. And after that, just because of the fact that I'm, you know, I'm Latino, I'm, I'm you know, Salvadorian, uh, raised by... Spanish immigrants. So, you know, a lot of the stuff he was talking about because he's Puerto Rican is slightly different from the the situation that I grew up in, especially the fact that my parents assimilated and it wasn't really heavily um, culturized uh, upbringing. And, uh, you know, there was English and Spanish. And just at the same time, this performance just blew me away. I mean, and we'd watch it every single day we'd quote the lines you know our Indian buddy who had no idea about uh, Latin upbringing but at the same time was also raised by immigrants completely locked in he loved it he you know he, he did the voices so we'd all the three of us be doing our own versions of John Leguizamo and uh, and that was probably one of the happiest times in my life my Indian friend has now passed away I'm estranged from my friend Dave who showed me this comedy special. So uh, part of the funk uh, that I experienced was due to the fact that, you know, having not gone to college and educated myself uh, professionally, um, I'm sort of just flailing about. I I'm working my small business. I clean houses, as I've said before, with my mom, also with my wife. Uh, my mom is uh, on the verge of retirement, which is going to throw my whole world into a limbo stage for wh however long it takes for me and my sister to then adjust, uh, which is going to be a whole undertaking, but uh, that's for another day. I can't go on living without being a creative um, outlet receiver whatever it is you want to call it you know i have you know one minute i i don't want to play music the next minute i'm recording a whole song on even on instruments that i don't normally play all the time but just having the know-how and uh, the ability to manipulate things sonically and melodically i can put things together f for the most part pretty well uh or when i'm not doing that uh i've been writing a lot a lot because you know as i said that 
you know, I'm trying to, uh, you know, kind of churn some jokes out and uh, look at my life in a, in a bit of a different perspective um, and put that to paper and, and make it funny and make it humorous. And when I'm not doing that, uh, there's a script idea that I'm kicking around that I will hopefully announce something about uh, if anything ever happens from it. But uh, as far as the show goes, I've, I've sort of uh, readjusted my sights a bit to try to bring in people who I can interview and sort of extract information on how I can get this whole multimedia music, you know, scripting things, sketch writing and comedy and, uh, you know, perhaps even some stand-up, you know, to, to integrate that into my life and really get it into a, uh, a working order where I can start reaching out to, you know, either communities or different people that can help me along, maybe even getting, you know, help from those same people that I talk to. So this is my, my new narrative. I guess what I was looking for uh, come the new year when I when I just I hit a wall and couldn't really understand where my life was going to be going. Today I'm talking with poet, wordsmith, slam king, uh, Damian Rucci who, if you don't already know, and the powers to be aren't careful, will be uh, taking over the Monmouth County, Ocean County area, deriving from uh, what I've learned is a homegrown, grassroots sort of scene going on in the area that uh, that rivals no other right now. I mean, really, it's, it's something, something truly to be witnessed, something that I, I really couldn't believe until I showed up one night, so... I was turned on to this guy by a fellow podcaster in front of the show, President Zen One, a.k.a. Andrew Robinson, whom you may know from episode six. And if you don't recall, we had a bit of a breakdown, well, more of like a hiccup, mid-conversation that we were able to remedy by breaking into one of his stellar hip-hop tunes. Uh, and that is under President Zen One, available on all listening platforms, iTunes, Reverb Nation, Spotify. And I'll tell you what. Throw this guy a couple of bucks and keep him going. He's got an awesome podcast, great hip-hop, really forward-thinking, um, you know, get your shit together and then question your uh, question everything kind of information on there. Um, and he's got some good stuff in store for his listeners, so you need to go check out some Black Helicopter News on the Podomatic platform and other major podcast platforms and either and, and anywhere, anywhere you could really find podcasts, Black Helicopter News, for some conspiracy stuff, uh, some hard-hitting news, really open-your-eyes kind of stuff. Really good guy. But before I move on, I want to do an audio toast to my friend, President Zen One, for celebrating one year of podcasting. For starting up and digging through the muck of figuring out your format and uh, finding your voice and the battle that comes when your demons come out and start... Uh, toying with your fragile inner child, reminding you of how much of a piece of shit you are and how stupid you sound. Yeah, look at me, uh, king of my one-man radio empire. Uh, but I digress. I'm the boss around here. But I digress. I'm the boss around here. So back to the matter at hand. I was told about a poetry reading going on in Asbury Park at Dino's 
going by the name of Words on Me. So, naturally, I was a bit trepidatious, bistro-type locale, poetry, dim lighting, probably a crowd of about six, including moms and local eccentrics. But when I pulled up, I was pleasantly surprised to see the scene was pretty hopping. So I made my way inside, and boom, things were changed for me. Things were changed in me. A couple of raw performances and a couple hundred words later, and I was hooked. All my preconceived notions, all my hang-ups, all my reluctance to bear witness to a fragile yet tenaciously diligent community washed away by the clever concussions of word wizards. And as weirdly singular each person and personality seemed, uh, as the picture finally panned out and I realized that I'd found my community, my people, all individually uh, unique and, uh, and gathered and united, but at the same time singular enough to kind of fall away into your own world and be yourself. So I gotta say, Words on Main, uh, Damian Rucci, uh, Maggie Danger, who I will be talking to in another episode, and a few other people, uh, you guys really got something going on. Really got something going on. I'm quite impressed. Does anybody have any dogs here or has had dogs before? Woo! All right, great. This one's for everybody who's had a dog in their life. It's called Little Rascals. Max and Petey were two crazy sons of bitches, but we were best friends. We ate together, played together, and each summer when the nuns decided to close down the jail and let me out on parole, the three of us went everywhere together. But I guess that's just what best friends do. A few years later, Max died in his sleep, and Petey lived a long, comfortable life, but he expired in my mother's arms when I was away at college. So I didn't get the chance to say goodbye. But to this day, they're still two of the best dogs I've ever known, but I didn't own them, because you can't own the silence in a puppy dog's eyes. All you could do is hope that they respond well to whatever they sense in your presence. Because most dogs can smell a mean pile of shit from a mile away. So the first person that caught my attention was Charles Joseph, who spoke from a quiet place. But with every word, it became more obvious he was someone locked and loaded mid-swing and breaking out of his shell. He made me laugh with his earnest depictions of failed relationships and favorite lost dogs, and then hushed the crowd with a delicate poem about his dead niece, whom he was uh, able to immortalize by way of getting that particular poem published in, uh, I don't know, one one of the publications, I don't know if it was local or online or whatever it was, but needless to say, it was a great moment for him, and, uh, and the poem really, really struck. So he's got a new chapbook out by the name of Fireball, and I was able to have a quick chat with him about poetry, writing, and the scene they're bringing to life, um, the grassroots effort, the unity, and just the general um, cohesion of everybody involved, which was a really cool thing to hear about, especially in the... Uh, 
in the present time. So if you're into this kind of thing, listen up and get a taste of uh, what's brewing up out here. We'll go there right now. Uh, I'm Jay. Jay. Yeah, nice to meet you. Charles, Charles <laughs> Joseph. Charles Joseph yeah. All right, so I'm here with Charles Joseph. I uh, just saw him do a set uh, here at Dino's in Asbury Park. Um, poetry, uh, I guess you call it reading. And I'm not like, I'm not, uh, you know, I can't say that I'm like a, a poetry guy or whatever, but I do, I have always had a, a really great love for the English language. My dad came, my parents came here from El Salvador, okay. and my dad was like super firm on learning the language, you know, uh, you know, sounding like American, you know, really assimilating and everything. So I've always had, you know, I used to write a lot. I actually used to write poems, but I just, uh, I just really never like developed or, or, you know, worked on anything. And then, uh, you know, I started this podcast and I'm just like, you know, I can really tap in all these, you know, all my loves and, 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 you know, all this stuff. So, um, you know, I was moved by your performance. So I just wanted to, you know, talk to you for a minute about, uh, about how you got, you know, why, why it is you do what you do. Oh, why I do what I do. I mean, yeah. I, I've been writing for forever, you know, I was in a band actually too. Nice. So like, you know, like I, I, I basically, I started writing when I was like 15 years old, I guess, okay. like poetry. And then, like, I bought a guitar and I was writing songs and stuff like that. Yeah, similar, and, yeah. You know, right. and, like, you know, like, I, I read, I've read a lot of poetry and I started reading a lot. You know, in my early 20s, probably, I started reading the most. And I, I just started writing more and more and more. And now, I guess, as I've gotten older, I've just gotten better at it. And, like, you know, I started to kind of branch out to, to meet people. And, you know, I'm getting my work published now. And like, Yeah, that's great. I heard, uh, yeah, I heard yeah, a Yeah, and, like, you know, I'm, I'm doing readings with people. And what we're doing with the readings is really great because we're putting a community together. Right, right. And, like, and what I mean by that, a community, it's not like a community of people that are going to make money. It's a community of people that are like enjoying their art you know, and sharing it with other people so that they can be heard. And being heard is a great thing with writing because what happens is it's that you know, sitting in a room and writing something is one thing, but letting somebody hear what you, what you have to say is a completely different thing. And it's cathartic. Yeah, in in oh, a way absolutely. that is like, you know, it's, it's broad spectrum right. cathartic. You know, like, and, and it's not to get your head big, it's to say, you know, like, you, you let this animal out of you. Right, and you're also getting a feel for, for your craft, and, uh, you know, essentially, if you feel uh, a movement in the room, you know, and you can sort of learn how to tame that through your methods and craft, you know, of course, you just want to make it better and yeah. be better at it. The other thing is that you, you, you see a lot of people that have different styles. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that you're going to cop their style, but you, like, you see, hear something and you get inspired by somebody else's work. Right. It's not something that you buy in the store for $15. It's not something that you read on the internet. It's something that's very personal between you and other human beings. Instead of being like tapped into technology, you're out there, you know, actually talking to people and hearing what they have to say, hearing their work. And it's, it's beautiful, you know, I mean, I really enjoy it. Yeah, and everything makes, uh, makes, makes you like uh, sort of make slight adjustments on your own on your own style because you get a feel for for the atmosphere and, and the general nature of yeah, you know, what's going on around that's you. good and bad right you know, right, you, right. You, number one the, the, the thing with writing is having your own voice and once you, you find your own voice which is very difficult yes you know it's like you know you have to believe in that voice and not kind of veer from it unless you want to you know so you don't want to like be somebody else mm -hmm. but what you could do is you could appreciate what somebody else is what somebody else does and try to figure out how they did that right right and, right, and, right. and bring it into your own stuff it's like hearing a Led Zeppelin song and saying how the fuck did they get the, the amp yes. to sound like that yeah, yeah, yeah and then you tune it in and then you write your own song right it's right, right yeah it is different it is different. but you know the purity of your own thing can only last so long you know like that's why like a lot of people they do their great work uh, early in their career because you know 
who knows how long they spent really, you know, mining that out of themselves and, and crafting it from little bits and pieces that they received from, from the world around them, you know, and then it's like they finally explode out onto the scene, you know, they, they create a big, uh, you know, uh, uh, just a big reaction or whatever, and then, it, you know, they don't really have that time to, Longevity. to, to go on, you know, well, to, to, like, create a new thing and really, like, let it stew and, and, and marinate. So it's just, like, well, I think it's hard it, to not be, uh, you know, influenced by your surroundings. Sure. But, like, you know, like, in this day and age, like, years ago, a young man, it was a young man's world, you know, with art. Mm-hmm. And I think that now it's becoming an older person's, like, 30s is, like, is a good stretch. Right, you know, right, With right, writing, right. you know, with, with certain things, you know. You know, like... I think people respect the maturity of it, though. You know what I mean? Because you have to it live was a young to write. man. Exactly. You have exactly. to write. You, you need know, the, you need the pain to be authentic. Yeah. And for, for yeah. that gleam in your eye to to really uh, express years of of carrying something. Yeah. Well, you need to be beaten with a sledgehammer, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's basically what it is. And then the other thing is is that, is that you know like. Everybody comes into their own when they come into their own. Everybody's different. Some people get catch on really early, and some right. people catch on like people get novels published when they're seventy years old. Right, right. You know, right. it's just it's when when it hits correctly that you're going to find the beauty. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, find I, the stride. I, <laughs> I feel that more more than you know, man. I, I spent a bunch of years just being self destructive, and uh, you know, I started this podcast in the last year after going sober, and uh, you know, I've joked about it with a couple guys that you know, I like, I basically lived my whole life to be thirty five. You know what I mean? I, didn't we all? Yeah, right. I lived, you know, I, I didn't think I'd hit thirty. I was like, when I hit thirty, I, I said I have to grow up. Yeah, yeah. You know, so <laughs> it took me five more years. But uh, so, are you doing this often? Is this just a thing that um, that's sort of coming out now, or has it always been going? No, well, this is something new that we've been doing. Like, Cord just started this. You know, this reading in Asbury Park. But you know, Damian Rucci, the, the guy that I that I do a lot of work with. Uh, he does a reading, and like there's just been a lot of readings in a very short period of time, and they're catching on. It's great. Cool. Well, it's been a good uh, good winter for us with the uh, with the mildness of the yeah. The cold, and, I, so. and I was thinking it's that nice. it's like when the warm weather comes, it'll be, it'll be nice, you know, like yeah. because you know, like maybe we'll have a little epicenter in every little town that we that we right. work in. Right. You know, like we have, you know, Asbury. He does keyboard. We have another you know, friend of ours, Kendall Bell. Is, you know, he's putting a re- reading together in Mount Holly, which I don't even know where the fuck Mount Holly is. <laughs> but we're gonna do it. You know, there's no way to get nice. there in in under two hours. Yeah, I'll tell but you, you know what I mean. Like if you if you listen to our work, it's very you know like what's the word I want I want to use? It's you know like people could could identify with it. It's identifiable and it's right. Like, it's not regional. It's not it's academic to the point to where you don't know what we're talking about. It's right. very real and. You know, like that's you know that's the modern writer. I think is a lot of modern writers are doing that, and like people are receptive to that. It's approachable, is the word that I. Yeah, like that's great. And with approachable people coming out and talking, and like you know, I mean, you you saw my set. I'm interacting with the crowd. Yeah. And you know, there's a looseness the crowd, to you and a, and a familiarity with your surroundings, whether you know the place or not. Yeah, but the crowd is like you know is interacting, mm-hmm. and, and it's great. You know, like it, I, I hate to use it as you know like. Wow, back in the day, this shit happened. But back in the day, this shit happened, and you know we're trying to bring a new face to something. Right, right, right. So. I like that. Well, it was, uh, all right, well, it was good talking, man. Hopefully, good we'll talk. see you again Thanks, and uh, and check out uh, some more sets. All right, bro. Today, in this week's News Monthly. President Obama visited Cuba in a continued effort to ease tensions over a 54-year embargo that's been blamed for Cuba's stunted economy and raised stigma over communism. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, during a call to advise the president and share strategies to stimulate trade between the countries, was reported to have secured a delivery of now-legal Cuban cigars. 
When asked with whom they'd be shared, Secretary Clinton assured that he'll be a little more careful with whom he shares these with. And when pressed on the matter, she added, my lips are sealed. Wouldn't you like to know who's Putin won between her lips? Onlookers could only shrug as she walked away, playing an invisible trumpet all the way to the bank. In world news today this week, 21-year-old Ohio man Otto Warmbier arrested for his alleged theft of a political propaganda poster from a Pyongyang hotel was sentenced to 15 years hard labor. As if the name Warm Beer isn't bad enough, now you go parading your entitlement issues in North Korea of all places. Phil Robertson, deputy director for Human Rights Watch, Asia Division, is calling for his release on, quote, humanitarian grounds. Robertson also stated that perhaps luck would be on his side were he visiting a humanitarian land. Warren Beer, who was backpacking with the tour company Young Pioneer Tours, is being recognized by the group as their first member to traverse the North Korean judicial system and will be known as their first international pioneer. On camera, Warren Beer sobbed he stole the propaganda poster on behalf of a member of the Friendship United Methodist Church in Wyoming, Ohio, who wanted it as, quote, a trophy. In exchange, he would have received a used car worth $10,000. The Methodist Church's version of the GI Bill. Warmbier also stated this was the worst mistake of his life. It's no used car, but what he will make out with is a cool uniform, rock hard abs, and a schizophrenic cynicism that just won't quit. So that wraps it up for today in this week's News Monthly. Now to my conversation with Damien. Is a love poem. Serious. <laughs> this poem's called Tale of the Phantom Shitter. <laughs> there was a time when a phantom had struck the bathrooms at work, leaving his fecal signature along the toilets, the walls, and the floor. At first we laughed, and then we gagged, and then we sort of marveled at the way he shit on the ceiling. We waited by the bathroom door every morning for a glimpse at the phantom shitter, but he eluded us. The shitastrophe grew daily, becoming more pronounced like an artist does when he dedicates himself to his craft. One afternoon, I was in the stall to the left, texting on my phone, and I heard it. I heard the phantom shitter shitting live, like an anal volcano belching from beneath the Earth's crust. The stall rumbled and shook as a low groan crept through the now vile air. I finished up and escaped from the stall, only to see the stall beside me open. A man as massive as a red oak tree opened and gilked at me and gave me a nod. His art was already dripping on the floor. I said, you. You're the phantom shitter. He grinned and said, sometimes it's fun just to fuck shit up. <laughs> Why, well, like, uh, social media, man, I've been playing with social media hard. Yeah. Because, um, yo, fa Facebook's been killer. Like, if you know the game on Facebook, uh -huh. it's, it, it is a game. You gotta, there's different things you gotta do. Like, there's times a day. Uh -huh. Like, if you post, no one listens. Like, at, like at 8 a.m. on a Tuesday, Right. that's a bad time. 
but 11 a.m. on a Tuesday is like a golden time to post. Ah. That's when people they say are are at they're at work, right? But they're either on their phones or on their work computers, right? Right. So um, but I've been noticing that if I post things, so today, right? I was uh-huh. like, I'm going on your podcast. Right, all these people started liking and commenting and sharing. But that was the second time I posted that status. The first time I posted an hour before, no one saw it. Right. So I deleted that, re- reposted, and all these people started commenting. Oh, I, w- I want the feed. I want the feed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's def- different games to play. All you right. should definitely try to make a page, bro. Well, the you know, pod- podcast. I, I've, 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 I'm, I'm in the midst of fighting the whole Facebook thing. I've never had a Facebook oh, in dude, my life. You should. And it's like, uh, and but see, like this is one of those things where I'm like, you know. The older it gets, and it's been a good good amount of time that, that it's been out there, you know, everything always either uh, gets to this point where it's completely defunct or mm-hmm. it, it starts to grow different faces and, like, you know, yeah. turn into this whole different thing, which is what I'm hearing is that now you have to, like, pay for attention, you know, for, like, um, it to reach certain people, um, for it to be bumped into the, you know, the head spots of other people's feeds. Well, yeah, now a lot of artists cry about this uh-huh. because they don't understand it properly. The way is this, right? Like, so they don't want you and other pages to bombard the people on Facebook with advertisements. Right. So the idea is that, like, if you're posting spam bullshit, they, they limit your, your like, reach. Uh-huh. So the idea is that um, in order – so, like, if, if you put a post out, if I like it or anybody likes it, right, it'll get more engagement. The more engagement a post gets, the more Facebook shows it to people. They think that's worthwhile. So right. now, if you don't have that natural engagement, uh-huh. they, they, they do also offer you advertising, which I've done before. Right. It is worth it. If you could throw $5 at a post, my friends in this band, this rap group called the Empire for Project, they have a fund that they just like, they throw $10 a week into this fund. Yeah. And every day when they post a, a new video, whatever they do, they'll throw 2 $3 at a post. Right. And it's it's helped them tremendously. They've, they've, they have like 1300 likes on Facebook and they've grown pretty, pretty rapidly. Huh. But like, if you already have a fan base or you develop one, as long as people engage, you grow. Like I don't, I haven't used Facebook ads in like six to eight months. Right. But everything I've done, like I use my personal profile and my author page together. Right. And I've naturally grown. So like I post about your podcast thing. Uh-huh. Now I just checked before, like 30, some people like liked it, all these comments, no advertising. Right. Right. And then when I post your link, uh, it's the same thing. Facebook does penalize slightly. A lot uh-huh. of networks, so if you link outside of Facebook. Okay. But even then, as long as more more people like it and see it, that's defunct, you know? So it's all about knowing how to do it. Like, I, I beat up on Andrew. I'm like, Andrew, you got to get on Facebook, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And finally, he got one, and now he's he's slowly building on there. Right. You know, right. it's hard when uh, this author guy, you know, Charles. You, yeah, you yeah, Charles, Charles Joseph, yep. Okay, well, he got on Facebook after how many years? Never been on there before. He's 40-something yeah. years old. So he doesn't have that natural people like all of his friends. He hasn't talked to his friends in 30 years. He's not going to add them on Facebook. Right. <laughs> right but right. me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm younger. I don't know how, how old you are. Like 35. Yeah. yeah so, so. so it's like you still probably talk to people you went to school with and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you have that group and it's, you use them to help propel you and you build yourself up. Right. Charles, he started from zero. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now he's like, I got 149 friends, bro. 149. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. I'm like, yeah, bro. You know, but, um, it's it's all a game, bro. It's a game, yeah. A necessary game. game. Right, right. Unless right. you're lucky enough to hit it big. Right. And then you know people take take care of it all for you. Yeah, you know, and like, I, you know I get like, I just like I I think I just resent the whole hustle of of you know of the and it's really just the um 
just that the form that it's in is yeah. you know it's being on your phone it's sitting at your computer it's you know all this thing that you know yeah. that the that our culture just the same likes to uh, poke fun at you know where it's like yeah. oh you know like well, you're gonna get hit by a car because you're on your phone exactly like, you know doing your thing so yeah and like me I've always been like this like you know from the earth kind of guy and this and that so I struggle with it all the time whether I'm like all right like would I appreciate doing this for my whole entire life and not seeing any fame from it? Like, would I be happy at that point because I was, you know, fundamentally um, stuck to my principles or would I actually enjoy a bunch of fame or like even, you know, yeah. uh, relative fame and, and, and have a lot of fun and, and then, you know, engage that market and, you know, those abilities yeah. and, and grow to be a, a bigger per you know, like a well, greater I don't even personality. Think, I think of it different. I think of it slightly different. Right. So, all fame aside, right? Uh -huh. The idea of using social network to spread your art or whatever you're doing, your podcast, you're going to hit people that like would have never heard of your podcast otherwise. Right. Right. And by doing that, you might change the way they perceive whatever. Right. So you, uh, you interview bands and stuff, right? So these people may never have heard of these bands. Uh -huh. So now they see, yo, this guy, Jay Hernandez stays posting about mine's podcast. Okay, I'm pretty annoyed. I'm tired of seeing this shit. Let me listen to it. Right. Then they go, oh, okay. Whoa, this this band. I never even heard of this band. That That's awesome. Yeah. And that, so that's how these things work. So, like, when I started listening to podcasts, um, I saw them through social media and YouTube. And then, like, the, the uh, Joe Rogans and all that. And then I was like, whoa. And they profoundly changed the way I looked at life. You right. Know, like, right. So, um, I think it's all about getting out there and expressing. Like, back in the day, to advertise your podcast, it, there wouldn't be one. But, I mean, like, your radio show, you would go to the mall and you would hand out a 1,000 flyers. Right. You don't need to do that anymore because you just post on Facebook now. Yeah. And yeah. you'll get that same reach. You know? So, I think that that's what I look at it as, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, well, I, keep, I mean, you, you're, you seem to be the hustler type. You know, <laughs> you want to get out there, tug on as many strings as you can. Well, and I'm probably going to still do – I thought about doing flyers again. Yeah, well, there's something to say about that grassroots type yeah. stuff because people like that, you know. Like it, it got annoying after a while, but I think it was just because of um, the, the 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 social uh, media aspect started to you know blow up and yeah, get there. Yeah, so yeah. people were like, "Ugh, like I don't want to deal with this person when I can just stare at my phone." Yeah. But now there's almost like the reverse action where it's like, "Ugh, I'm tired of staring." Oh, like look a flyer of somewhere I, I can go right now. Like, oh, cool, I can go there right now. Yeah, I think if you know yourself, like in person. It works differently, right? So, Charles hasn't had that much success. This isn't being recorded, right? Uh, yeah, no, we're 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 hot, but, but oh, no, it's yeah. Oh shit, I, I didn't know we were, we were podcasting. <laughs> um, but good. like, see, like, but like Charles is like, um, he uh he hasn't gotten that that much uh, attention in person. He kills it on on the internet. He's uh -huh. been posting poems and networking and saying shit out. But what I found in myself is like when I'm in in person, like. You know that's what's that's what kills it for me. Like I'm really good with with readings, open mics. That I get more from that than other people. Right. My friend Brandon Deal, when he um, he gets big attention from the internet. Right. Right. But readings aren't really a thing. Like he does readings, they're cool. Mm -hmm. But like so, it's like there's something to be said about in person things like and doing crap together because it's like I've all been about going out there and just uh, and getting out there because you go, you were there in Asbury. The, the other night yeah yeah that was pretty profound for a poetry reading like who would have thought that 45 people would cram into a little coffee a little uh dino's in yeah. asbury park you know yeah i was excited to see a crowd because you know yeah. i could easily have written it off like oh there's gonna be nobody there just the yeah. performers a couple people you know because i mean that's just the reality of of, of things you know especially live things exactly you know um 
you know, it's, <laughs> it's really funny. I didn't even know we were going live, but that, that's totally cool, man. I'm down with it. Um, like, I've found that with these readings, man, so much has happened lately. You know, it's it's kind of like when we started doing this, uh, I, I got into a car accident. Uh-huh. So um, I was on my way to work, and I had totally abandoned creativity, really, because I was working 90 hours a week as a butcher. Right. You know, it was rough. So I'm on my bike. I go to work. I got hit by a car. And I remember, like, it was so surreal being hit by the car, and like, uh, I just lost my ability to walk. I didn't. I wasn't able to walk for two months. Holy and my so, you know, and I had friends, man. I had my own apartment. Life was going really, really good. And then, so having my own apartment, that went away because mm-hmm. I couldn't. I couldn't access steps. I couldn't right. make money. I had to move back to my grandmother's, right? And it was like all my friends vanished at once. They didn't vanish, but no one's gonna go hang out with the crippled guy. He, right. he can't drink. He can't party. He's stuck. So I remember, I, I just thought about getting back into like art again mm-hmm. and so i started walking i met charles met brandon and then i was like yo no one's gonna i'm like this is cool but no one's gonna come out to these poetry readings like who cares man like right. i was like there's slam poetry right. but that's lame there's mfa poetry i'm not into that <laughs> i was like who's gonna come out to like real gritty poetry man and then we started doing them I was right like, okay that, that that was pretty cool right i was like all right and then when as of late, man, I did a show uh, on the 17th of December. We did this big show at Espresso Joe's in Keyport. Dude, we filled that to the wall. There's about 55, 60 people there. There are people outside on the sidewalk. Wow. Yeah, right? So and this, and, uh, there's only about only a handful of us, the performers, and there were a handful of our friends that were poets. Yeah. The rest were just everyday just people. people. trying to do something yeah. and hear some shit. Yeah, it's, some- uh, it's pretty profound, man. There's something going on. Yeah. Because uh, poetry is a dirty word. Uh-huh. And Yo, I'm yeah. sure you... You know, Absolutely. well, right? Because if you see me, I'm this big dude. I I curse like a sailor. I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't look like a poet. I got I got a beard. You know, I'm shaved head. And um, so when we think of poets, we really think of these uh, really pretentious, self-important people, right? Which is still a right. very popular. There's a lot of them. Okay, yeah, it's a, it's a character in the yes. game. Yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, but when you get this authenticness and you bring it out there, things begin to change. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we've been trying to do, man. Like, uh, I've met so many different pe- people out there. It's been, like, so great. Because, like, people are tired of hearing this button poetry. Like, I'm sure you've seen button poetry on the internet or anything. Uh, it doesn't ring a bell. Button but, poetry uh... is this group of people near the Twin Cities that uh, put on a button. They do videos of, of poems. Okay. And they become very popular. They're all slam poems. Some of them are great, but a lot of them, they all sound the same. Right. Okay? Because... When things are successful, everyone decides to mimic. To jump on it, yeah. So, and people are tired of that, getting up there, and everyone has a political manifesto, and it's all the same, you know? So, I think when people see everyday people doing poetry and just giving, like, being truthful, like, not putting on an act. Mm-hmm. Like, the other night uh, in Asbury, there was such a broad range of different things, you yeah. know? Like, you go from, like, Charles... And, you know, Charles, he was reading from Fireball, his like his uh, his chapel, which is amazing. And his thing. Then you got uh, you got Mia Hathaway. You got Dana. You got Cord. You got me. And every one of us were so opposing. Right. But every but they were all real. Yes. Yes. And I think that's what's captivating people, because I, I've had people come over to me like, wow, like you make me want to write poetry. I didn't know poetry could be like that. Right. And that's, you know, and yeah. I was getting that that feeling, you know. Uh, because I, I had gone there like, like we were talking about with my mm-hmm. preconceived notion, but, uh, there was something about, especially through Andrew and, and his passion for, you know, for you and, and what, what he was telling me about you. I'm just like, all right, I, I'm going to do this. Um, yeah. because you know, even him, like he talks about, uh, my podcast is like a music based thing and, I, and yeah. I'm really trying to reach more, 
you know, different areas. way more, you know what I mean? I'm going to totally. talk to all sorts of different kinds of people because really um, everybody's got a similar story, but, uh, you know, just different flavors and just the different uh, activities as far as poetry, music, mm-hmm. and I, you know, like every it's all got a different um, it's all about art. perspective. Exactly. Yeah. And it's all art, entertainment, you know, and, and the business, whatever. So, totally. you know, I got there um, uh, real quick uh, for my listeners. I'm here with uh, Damien Rucci poet from uh from what area are you from i am from keyport okay uh but i'm right but i live right now in hazlitt okay so is yeah. there any more any other hats that you wear that you'd like to uh you know, a podcaster i uh, uh i'm a podcast host i used to host the lightning sheet podcast a couple years back uh now i host the damien rucci hour uh, i'm a poet i uh, used to be in bands you mm-hmm. know like i, I kind of uh distance myself from the music aspect right because um i love music man but the thing is, like, it's so hard to yeah. corral four dudes together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think we were talking about this. You know, it was like, you know, we got our band together. We're supposed to be like this grunge outfit. And the one guy wants to start writing songs like Queen, you know? Like, right, right, right. It's right. just like everything. <laughs> it's usually always the bassist, too. Yeah. It, it's always the bassist who comes up and he's like, I, I want to do this. But uh, now I've tried to do different things. You know, um, writing is always writing and poetry. They've yeah. always been my uh, my the main, main stays. Yeah, my yeah, main yeah. stays because and they, and they never leave me. And I've gone times without doing them. Right. And usually those times in my life are the ones that suck. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, because you feel like you're onto something. You're like maybe this, you know, whatever it is your main thing is. Maybe that's ruining my life. Maybe that's maybe yeah. I'm I'm, I'm in too invested in it and I'm missing out on the bigger picture. You know, because I've been there. I've been yeah. there with music. I'm like oh, I'm gonna completely quit. Meanwhile, I've got this whole thing in the basement festering. Yeah. And every single day, it's just knocking at me like, what are you doing? What totally. Are you doing? Like, would you really rather just sit on your ass there on your phone watching TV or come make some fucking noise, you know? And, yeah, no, yeah. And you try to fight it and fight it, but... Uh, it begs for you. It's kind of like uh, the Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. That's it's exactly that what I was the, referencing. Uh, yeah, yep. yeah, it's... um, I don't know, man. It's funny because, like, all this stuff's happening now. It's really, really cool. But, like, this is not a new boat. Like, a couple years ago... This is what I really got. I had no idea. I was, I was going to be a poet mm-hmm. on the side. Fiction was my main thing. Poetry right. was like a, a little side swipe. Almost like a, a different muscle that you yeah, can Yeah, I used exercise. to say that, uh, that you know, uh, writing was like my my wife and poetry was like my side chick, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I give her attention <laughs> sometimes, you know? But um, but I had no intention of ever performing yeah. or readings. I had right, no – that right. was not any – that was not in my lexicon. I wasn't about it. And I got um, invited – to go to this open mic in Matawan. I said, all right, I'll go. I went there. I read a couple poems. I had a good time. And then I saw somewhere that this magazine, Gigantic Sequins, was doing a story slam, which is a poetry slam, but a story. Right. So right. I decided to go to – I went to New York. I had never been – never read on stage besides the one time in that open mic. And I, uh, I had no idea that the Stonewall Inn was like this – like it was like the gay bar mecca, you know, like that's where like the whole gay rights movement really started in the sixties where all those gay guys were arrested for, uh, for being gay in the sixties. Okay. I had no idea. Right. So I get there and I have this poem called burn. Well, it's a story and it's about this, uh, this, this guy who's about to die and he reflects back on his life. And, uh, and then he's like, you know, like I deserve it. It was just, it was really crappy. Like it's something I, I don't read anymore in places, <laughs> right. but, uh, but the one line I, I, I say the word faggot in, in, in the story, yeah. not offensively, but it's, uh, He's talking thinking about a, cat, a guy he went to school with, right? And I, what the boys would call him. So I was up there, and uh, my ex girlfriend, my best friend, were like, "Yo, you cannot read this poem here, because everyone's looking like the YMCA thing, you know? Right? Like, <laughs> like shaved head dudes, <laughs> nipple piercing, the sweetest guys in the world." And I was like, "Oh man, you know, this is the only thing I got." So I remember I went up there and I, I read the poem or story, whatever it was, 
and I said it. Uh -huh. And when I said it, the entire bar just went silent. <laughs> right? <laughs> just silent. I was like, oh, no. Mm -hmm. And then I and then I won. <laughs> right, I mean? right. Uh, and then I, so I, had, I was doing that, and I had a bunch of different shows. We were booking shows and readings, and it wasn't. People weren't coming out. Right, right, right. Because I didn't know who I was. I had no idea what I was trying to do. Well, I well let's work up to that. Where, like, yeah. where did, you know, like you said, uh, it was almost like um, like you, you had found it kind of later on. And, and yeah. you, I guess fiction was your thing. Like, where, where did where did the whole thing start? Like, you know, how old were All you? This? And like, yeah, oh, like, man. where your this, passion for writing? This goes back. Yeah, let's take um, it back. I wanted to do two things when I was little. All right. One was to be a baseball player. Uh -huh. And two was to be a writer. When I realized that I was too fat and I sucked at baseball, okay, <laughs> writing was the only other option. You know, I wanted to be a New York Yankee. And then when I realized that oh, I used to play t-ball and baseball, I'm like, oh shit, man! When I run around the bases, bro, I get winded. Right. I was like, <laughs> I was like I guess it's time to be a writer. And, I could write about this. Yeah. Well, really, man, it just uh, it goes back to me being younger. When I, I used to just write. Uh, not type. I used to just like write in my notebooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stories and poems. And I used to get in trouble at school. Because was there like um, creativity in the house? Like, would your parents? Uh, no, my like uh, my father uh, before he passed. Uh, my father was like a butcher, seafood cook, like not cook, like he's like cut seafood and butcher and stuff like right, that. Right. But he wasn't around. My uh, mother uh, used to be an artist when she was younger. Nothing crazy. She used to paint. Right, um, right. But no, she uh, she was off uh, like she was like a manager, district manager, at different stores. So really but none was, of that creativity kind of trickled in. To no, the no. Household. My older brother uh, was like the only, I guess, the only creativity uh, influencer uh -huh. uh, because he was a rapper. Uh, he's a he's big into writing raps, uh, and so but that was the only thing. You right. know, uh, there was it just was natural. It was a natural, inherent uh, thing. My friend Dylan Hart, who's uh, another poet. We grew up together. We know since we were three years old, and it feels like art kind of found us. Yeah, because we didn't have fathers. Right, right. Our mothers were off working two, three jobs. You know, so me and him would just run around causing trouble in the neighborhood, yeah. like really trying to find out like what is it to be a man and right, what, you know, because right, right, right. we didn't know any, you know, <laughs> yeah, except for, oh, except yeah, for my like grandfather. <laughs> so like uh, we would just turn to poetry and we, we didn't call them poetry back then. Though. Right. We said we were writing song lyrics for one day. We were going to be in a band. Okay. All right. You know, and but the, that creative, <laughs> that artistic, um, you know, because when you start doing it, it's like a different, it hits your brain. You're just like, Ooh, like that's like a, that's yeah. a different thing. Like, you know, you might not be that conscious of it at the time, totally, but it's, it's something that that compels you because it's it's something shifts in that moment where you, yeah. where you uh, practice or exercise that you know that part of yourself. Yeah, no, totally, man. And I like that you know, like just talking about like not having dads or whatever because it's like almost like creativity uh, and entertainment and stuff kind of becomes the map uh, to finding your dad. You know, like yeah. like where where is he? Like it's got to be through you know, you're like you're like clearing it's the cobwebs. Like yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's uh it's very telling where it's like I know. Don't get me wrong, art, I know people, all different kinds of artists, but it seems like people who grow up that are troubled when, when they're younger, mm -hmm. that's where art festers. Right. You know, like, uh, I have this theory, it's not really my theory alone, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the philosopher Terrence McKenna, you ever heard of him? No, I'm not familiar, no. Okay, from the 60s, well, he had this theory that uh, imagination and art is not a local thing, it's not okay. something you develop in your brain, that uh, we as people, we are antennas. Okay, so it's like a collective yeah, and like, and like sort of. we as people, we tune into whatever it is. And mm -hmm. Some people's antennas are just longer than others. Right. 
right? And I, I, I like give that a lot of credence because it's something that I've thought about because I feel like art finds you really. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, don't get me wrong. There is being a writer and, you know, being a musician. There's how many hours you just sit in there doing the damn thing. Right, right. No one's listening. You're just hammering on the guitar. You're hammering on the drums or you're writing. That's part of it for sure. But like the crafts, the, the craftsmanship and technique of it um, becomes something different though. Like what yes. you said, when you tap it into like, cause you could go do the scales all day. Oh yeah. But then when you want to feel a mood or something hits you where you're like, I want to translate that into this other thing. You can't just sit down and like, you know, out of a book, like, all right, how do I make yeah. this sound sad? Or like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, you totally. have to plug it in emotionally. That's, I, that's how I look at it because it's um with like myself it's like I've had to read a lot and write a lot to get to to get to the craft I have because I'm far from being anywhere where I want to be mm -hmm. you know uh, this journey really just started for me but I think the the imagination just hits me right like I have thoughts all day long I stay up all night long you know there's always ideas in my head I think that's a really common trait amongst a lot of of people out there mm -hmm. but some people are more tortured you know like. Me, I could sit there for hours and just write. But there's some people I know who will sit there and for like they'll spend two hours on a sentence. Yes. You yeah. know? And it's a very painful process. Yeah, yeah, Each yeah. word is laboring. <laughs> and um I I might find out how that feels eventually, but for right now that's not, that's not my problem, you know? Right, right, right. I can usually just bang them out and uh there's... Well there's the different styles because I'm sure that there's been points where you've you've either watched that or heard of that and, and like you kinda you're kind of jealous like like how come you know like especially when you see the product like why don't i do that or like yeah. not jealous but like why don't i do that am i missing something is my craft you know uh missing a leg or whatever or totally you know but then they're looking at you like this guy just bleh, just comes <laughs> out with it you know yeah where it seems so effortless but at the same time like you know maybe there's a lot of work being done up there when you don't even know where you're just exactly. kind of collecting little bits and pieces yeah waiting for you know a woman to hit you with a car and yeah. you're, <laughs> all of a sudden you're like, like i got time now <laughs> yeah. uh there's this poet john dorsey right uh -huh. now he is you want to talk about somebody to look to and feeling like in awe he writes six to ten poems a day oh my god okay he just bangs them out this guy's yeah. got like 45 books right and he's only in his like 40s wow right so that's huge he's super prolific and he just bangs them out like i want to get to that point mm -hmm. but you know it's there's everyone's different i don't think you can really find out who you are until you do it right you put a lot of energy yeah. into it yeah like charles you know uh bukowski that he was a famous poet he would spend some poems like two weeks on a poem, three weeks more right. than that. So I guess everyone's got their own speed and their own rate of, of like doing things. Yeah, yeah, and I'm and I'm sure that there's ways that you can look at it where, um, you know, maybe you can get like you know. 40, 50 words down on the paper, and then kind of go back over it and like, no, I kind of want to like, you know, like I want to, you know create more tension here and yeah i want it to flow a little easier here and you know be a little more mundane over here like where you know you can you know bend it and tweak it to where you want it to be so that you're satisfied totally you know, where because you don't know really how anybody else is going to receive it especially like the first time or the hundredth exactly. time you read it but like when you put that time and so i think that's just like a self-serving uh kind of uh part of, of of those certain guys techniques because yeah they need to know that whether it's received that way or not, that they believe it's going to be received the yeah. way they think it's going to be it's, received. Uh, it's pretty interesting, which is why I think readings are super important mm -hmm. for any uh, poet, writer. I'm not really sure about fiction writers because, you know, that's not my scene. Get up there and reading a chapter out of your book. You know, like <laughs> right. one day if I do a book signing, I guess. But <laughs> with poetry, man, like you don't really know how someone's going to react to your words unless you get it out there. Don't get me wrong. I could send a poem I wrote. 
to 15 of my friends say, hey, man, let me know what you think. Mm-hmm. But that's cool. But a lot of, you know, friends are friends, man. They make, oh, that's great. That's great, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they're one for the yeah, yeah. Books, yeah. <laughs> but when you get on stage, you get in front of the microphone in front of 30, 40 people you don't know, mm-hmm. that's how you know. And, and everyone claps. That, that's a big thing. Everyone will clap for anything. You right. get up there and, you know, be on a pogo stick or whatever, and they're going to clap. <laughs> but it's their faces. Yeah. You got to look at the faces when when you read, which mm-hmm. is... Um, I don't know how this. I haven't played music on stage too often. Like uh, when I was seventeen and eighteen, I toured across the state and played a bunch of shows. But like that was how many? That's five years ago. Right. So um, all I know is that when I got back on stage, man, I wasn't able to actually see the audience. Like I would look, but I would always focus on behind everyone in the room. Yeah. So, right. And now I've gotten to a point where I've been so comfortable on stage where I can literally just look at people and talk to people. So now I'm actually able to see, like, if people are liking what I'm doing, are they not liking? Because um, too often I find that, you know, everybody will clap and people get that false bravado. Like, the whole audience clapped. Right, right. I'm like, yeah, they clapped, of course, but how do they look during your poem? Right. You know, and that is is the most important part because, you know, if you're getting up there and everybody's just with their face down on their phones yeah, and they're bored. Yeah. You're not reaching anybody. Yeah, you're not reaching anybody. No. You're speaking literally into the void. Yeah. And they're going to clap because they're always going to clap. Right. Because you know you're not you're not talking. You're not talking at them anymore. Yeah. You can, can hear their YouTube exactly. video or whatever it, it is. Exactly, man. That's uh, it's something that I think is integral, like super important for this for the scene that's forming. Yeah. Is the readings because this is where you branch out to people. And like I always say this, right? Like I can publish my poetry in the greatest literary magazines, which I hope to do one day for mm-hmm. sure. However, I don't want to reach, I don't want my poetry to be fawned over in classrooms. I want that guy who just had, just worked from uh, seven in the morning to five at night, having a beer at the end of the night. I want him to be like, all right, I like that. Yeah. You know, that that's who I'm looking to reach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, given that, that 10 mile stare, thinking about, you know, like his dad or, or yeah. some, some weird, like, just that moment, like, uh my life did change at that moment. Yeah. Shit, that poem was sick. <laughs> because Fuck. everyone's got that record yeah. that changed their life. Mm-hmm. Or that album, whatever it is, that song. But I feel like people have lost that same uh, romantic appeal when it comes to poetry. And that's because, and that's the fault of the poets, man. A lot of poets have really just uh, gone the safe route. They like go to college and get the MFAs. They right. go out there, and then when they read, they have to read like this. Mm-hmm. For some reason, even though there's no question marks at the end of any of those lines. Right. But they right. always read like that. <laughs> and that kills me, man, because that's They've what They've also got off. like a sort of built-in um, audience because they, you know, they're, they've been documenting their journey on social media and whatever it is. Yes. So it's not like they have to go and beg and yeah. really uh, affect people in order to get the attention. Exactly. You know, they kind of they, they have it built in for them. So. Well, that that's what a lot of that whole uh, that whole MFA route, which is Masters of Fine Arts and mm-hmm. Poetry. When you go there, you have a built in audience because now uh, even if you suck, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm going to get a lot of slack for saying this, right? <laughs> but even if you suck, you still have support because you went to these institutions. Exactly. And no one's going to say that uh, Jay Hernandez, who went through the MFA thing, that. He sucks because then you're talking about your own pro, your own like program. Right. 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 So there's some of that, too. Yeah. But because I could assume that there's like you could put two people or or the same person, you know, have them show this whole entire, uh, you know, library of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, people are going to ever. But then as soon as you're like, oh, by the way, he went to the MFA, you know, like, yeah. And they're, oh, 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 right. And, you know, and, and this yeah, like I do see the, you know, yes. all of a sudden it's totally part it's of like that. a double blind. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude, there's a. Uh, 
there's a this little scene that's forming even locally, right in, in New Jersey, which is what I'm focused on because that's where I'm from. Right. There's all these different levels. Like anytime you get a group together, there's gonna be drama. But I had no idea to what level there there's gonna be drama with this little scene, because that that's where the divisions come, right? Mm-hmm. Where some people think that if you don't have an MFA in poetry, you are not a poet. Right. Don't worry about Walt Whitman, Mark Twain. No, they were nothing because they don't have MFAs. Wow. There's there is yeah. that like branch. Then there's the uh, the other branch, which is like, I'm a slam poet, you know, blah 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 blah. This is the way I do it. We uh, I do it this way, mm-hmm. and so there's all these different like divisions. So actually, can you explain to me what the different like? Because uh, you know, I hear slam poetry. Yeah, you were talking about the button poetry, this MFA thing. Yeah, what are some of the divisions and like what differentiates them? I'll definitely from each speak other? on that. Um, well, slam poetry. All slam poetry was was that this dude Mark Kelly Smith in the '80s was an everyday working dude. And he decided that in order to engage, like, uh, the everyday man, he would make poetry fun. So he started doing, like, a contest where, like, people would be judged on their poems. Right. Right? And it was really cool. And um, then, so, slam poetry just became poetry that was uh, vocally performed, sometimes recited, sometimes read, but that it would be judged. Right. And if you win, you go up, and there's different brackets, and then you could eventually become, like, the national slam winner and win all this money. That's how it is in essence. But... It's changed, which is not a, it's less to say about the art form mm-hmm. and more to say about those within the art form or the audiences, because uh, slam poetry becomes super political, which I have no, nothing wrong. Some of the greatest poems ever written were political, but it almost becomes a qualifier where it's like if you're not speaking about gender issues or all these different things that, you know, you don't place well in these slams. Right. Right. And of course, <laughs> <laughs> I show up there. <laughs> and you, <laughs> you know, and you saw my poems the other night. Uh, they are not, you know, they're mostly about the inner struggle and different things like that. So, and it's not just that; it's just they've it's changed. There's some great slammers out there that mm-hmm. I really admire. A lot of them are older though, right. like, like in the older scene. Like there's this guy Kyle Guante out from the uh, the Midwest. He's amazing. Taylor Molly, Sarah Kay. These are like some of the older ones, and I, I love their stuff because it's page poetry, but. It's just performed, you know? Okay, so in essence, it's it's the fact that it's um, performance-based. Yeah. And that's how it's going to be received in the end. It can be on the page for yeah. whatever, the consumer or, or just, you know, uh, social media or whatever. But it's that they are presented by themselves uh, on a microphone. Yeah, uh, well, that's just performance poetry in general, mm-hmm. which is all that is is just in front of a microphone. Um but the slam thing, really, it's it's literally become a genre within itself, which is interesting because all a slam was, man, was a contest. Right. So you could be – it's just poetry. You read your poetry at a slam. You are doing a poetry slam, right? Right. But literally, um, it's become its own genre. Mm-hmm. So now a lot of slam poems are very similar, sometimes in a good way, where you can see that there's this clear formation of, uh, of, of a genre. Right. But also – there's a whole lot of copycatting, not not on the actual things, but on the topics, on the way they like perform. Yeah, on on how uh, a narrative is moved through a topic. Yes, because you know it can really take any any form. But yeah. I can I can completely understand how it could use the same sort of legs to to travel through exactly a similar topic. Yeah, it's uh so that's that's what that it's um, you know. It has become its own thing, which is cool. Like I still go to a uh, poetry slam every now and then, loser slam in, in Red Bank. It's a cool spot. Just heard of that. Yeah, yeah it, it's some cool acts there. It's headed by Chad Anderson, 
who, who he's a cool guy. He's a great poet. He comes from the older crowd, though. Okay. Like, he started that about 10 years ago. Oh, wow. All right. But, yeah, I'm from Red Bank, so I oh, always you? hear little things coming out. From yeah, there, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's cool stuff, man. But everything's changing. There's different paths. See, what we're trying to do over here and what other scenes are trying to do, like, there's a huge poetry scene over there in Eastern Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever been over there. It's a really beautiful little town. No. It's uh, just like this one street, Northampton. There's like six art galleries. There's four cafes, bars, and all these do poetry events. Uh -huh. And like uh, Brandon Deal and Lynn Alexander and like Marlena Eck and Kelly Tedesco, all these big, all these poets over there, they put on all these events and they really do a lot of cool stuff. Is that like uh, by the like the New Hope area? Because I know, uh, is that, isn't that right across the bridge or something? I think so. Like it's like near there? Phillipsburg, Lehigh Valley. It's like that area. I'm not too uh, familiar with the other places near it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just know that like there's a certain little pocket over there that's very artsy and, and yeah. culture based. So well, I'm that's sure probably it. Yeah. yeah, because like well, the way I, the way I like to look at these is that a return to like Walt Whitman era poetry. Not mm. era, but I mean like he when a Walt Whitman, he's this poet from like the 1870s, um, and he said that like he wanted his poetry. To like, like not his poetry, but like he wanted his poetry to influence a generation of a, of American epics and like this American voice. Mm -hmm. And the way I look at the, what we're doing and what they're doing in East and, and other pockets is that we are literally uh, embodying this voice, and we're returning to that. I don't want to say not mainstream; that's not the word, but the middle, the middle ground, mm -hmm. from that academic to that slam. Right. The, these are the sides. I say. Right. We're in the middle. Like, and that's what I think is what's, that's how I like to describe it. Right. Because right. we're all different. You know, everyone's got different poetry. Yeah. But, you know, we're all trying to do this one thing where we're trying to, like, really just bring it back to this to these core values. And we're not trying to make these large claims. And we're not trying to, you know, have people think we're profound. Right. You know, which is a very common trend. Uh, right. But that's just what's, what that is. You leave it up to the, uh, up to the audience. Yeah. You know, whereas academics, you know. I'm, um, you know, I'm sure beg to be uh, perceived as, you know, so smart and until until you totally. know, intelligentsia like that's. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's assumed. Exactly. By, you know, by virtue of where they come from or what direction, you know, they come from. And uh, yeah. And the slams, I guess, can be looked at like, you know, the, the street <laughs> poets or whatever. Yeah. These, you know, um, you know, burning barrel type like, uh, you know, <laughs> wordsmiths. <laughs> Which is the funny part is that a large majority of those who are slamming have like rich families and, and right, yeah, right. You know I mean? like <laughs> that's where the funny part comes yeah well they're you know they're, they go on their little adventures you know yeah. from all that knowing that there's a, a nice safety net yeah. <laughs> exactly man exactly and uh but you know what though I've, I've changed a little bit because i used to i grew up without money you mm. know i've always been struggling hustling doing my own thing and uh i used to look at people who would be like very rich and they've had very fortunate like man how can you make art you mean right, I'd be like, right, right, I'm right, like right. What <laughs> I've changed a little. You know, the way I look at things now, I'm like, thank God for you know, everyone who's put out art. Right, you right, know, right, right. It's like so fortunate. Like, you know, unfortunately today, you know, we lost David Bowie, yeah, who was like such a profound artist in, in all aspects. You know, and I think we're all in this together, which is why what I've been trying to do is work with bands and work with comedians, different things, because why like I understand sometimes you go to a concert, you just want music, you go to a poetry reading, you just want poetry. I understand that. But sometimes it's like, why do we differentiate each other? You know, like we're all the same. We're just different yeah. embodiments. Yeah. 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 Because um, I used to do shows all the time with bands. I still do shows with this one band, Nautica Erotica, um, at a keyport, and uh, we have no issue. Uh -huh. Right? I get up there, I do my poetry, 
it's re- it's received well. Right. You know, right. they do their music. And really, the people who come out to these events, even if you don't want to look at it in that way, you're coming out to absorb art. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and that's what you're trying to, like, take, take <clears> in. <throat> and just, like, with the whole flyer, you know, social media thing, it's, like, after a while, um, and sometimes people don't know that, that, you know, they get bored of, like, you know, all right, I'm going to a show, you know. but uh, And, of course, that same person probably wouldn't go to, like, a reading or whatever, but... You know, if you're just doing these things that are part of, like, what culture you feel you're a part of, yeah. then, the, you know, it's just the people that are putting on these events and stuff are just sort of pandering to the same, to their to their own audience. You know yeah, I mean? the same Whereas, demographic. Yeah, so if you, like, bend it a little bit and throw in, like, you know, an acoustic jam with, like, you know, all full band acts, then you have, like, a, you know, a poet or maybe yeah. a comedian, you know, to start things off or break exactly. things up in between, you know, becomes this whole full, you know, uh, multimedia experience. Totally, that, totally. you know, will stick with you deeper than, than you know, because, you know, everything else turns into, oh, remember when I went to see, you know, The Refuse or whatever, and, like, mm-hmm. you can't even remember who else played because it's, like, yeah. you were just there to see them. You, you only went to see them. Exactly. You know, unless somebody else changed, you know, like changed your really, life. Yeah. yeah you know, like you really don't see it. But, yeah, yeah. But it's like, but you could easily be like, oh, remember that time you like we did that thing with that, that guy read the thing and then there was the band and then, you yeah. know, it's like those kinds of things are, are what, you know, shifts yeah. people's minds. You know? I actually had a moment like, like that because even back when I was like 19, I never wanted to get on stage mm-hmm. for poetry. I just, you know, that's not what I want to do. I right. was going to be an author. You know, I was going to sit there like Hunter S. Thompson. I was going to drink and do drugs and write. <laughs> that's all I wanted to do. And uh, I remember uh, Taylor Molly, this like poet, he has he has this reading series that's still going strong in New York called Page Meets Stage. And what he does is he takes a poet that is a page poet, meaning that, you know, this guy's not a performer. He just, you know, he's published and stuff like that. And then he takes a performer, whether they're slam or whatever they are, right. he puts them together for one show. And so it's like the best of both worlds. So does the page a poet actually read his own yes. stuff we, we well like page poets do read their stuff but right typically <clears throat> page poets are more um you know timid they don't you know they're not eccentric they're not entertaining right well that w- what was striking me was uh how cool it would be to take um a page poets who who won't perform and have like you know a slam poet read that'd be awesome their stuff you know that'd of course totally there awesome. probably have to be a little, couple agreements and yeah. some negotiations <laughs> <laughs> beforehand totally so no feelings are hurt but uh but that would be kind of cool no yeah um i was in awp which is this big writing conference it changes city every year i was in chicago okay and i remember uh, i saw tell i was doing this free page meet stage thing i was like wow i want to go and I went there, and this one poet read, the page poet, and it was good. I was like, oh, that's cool. Right. Then this guy comes up, and I, I looked for this man's name, and I've never found his name. He was this poet from Trinidad, and he did this poem about Biggie Smalls. Ah. Right? And it was this poem about, uh, like, he was with his girlfriend in the car drinking and stuff when he heard that Biggie Smalls died. Right. Right on the radio. And it was like the way he performed it, like it sent shivers up my arm. And it was really, really a profound moment. And I didn't leave there thinking I wanted to do that. Uh huh. But I did leave there like, like I, I was like, wow. You know, like that, that was profound. Yeah. You yeah. know, like that. that I think I'm I gonna love how me. that hit me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it was like one of those things like I still talk to my friends over there. Like, yo, you remember that guy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, See? yeah, we don't know his name. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's just something out of the ordinary. You know, exactly. It was, it was the, uh the page to stage thing exactly you know twisted you up enough to just dial right into that moment and now you'll never forget it you can always reference it yeah well that's what it's all about man it's all about like finding that art that hits you in the chest Uh now i'm not the kind of guy that goes to an art gallery i like i've tried to become cultured in that respect 
I don't really get it. I don't under, I like uh, we've done in Easton. We've done a lot of readings at art galleries, uh-huh. and uh, which is cool. Which we don't do around here for some reason. I don't know why. That's something we should do though. But um, so people would just walk into those art galleries and be like, "Oh my god," at the art, and I'm like. That's cool, and I'm really envious that I don't <laughs> yeah, feel that. Yeah, yeah. But I'm the kind of guy where if I hear a song I, I like, yeah, like I feel it's almost like a uh, surely a psychedelic moment, uh-huh. you know, a spiritual in right, essence, right? Where I'll be like, wow, you know, and it'll be in my chest, and and I used to. And that's how I am now with poetry because I really dedicated myself to this, mm-hmm. and you can't get better unless you read poetry. Right, right. Now, read you mean? Um like physically read it out of a book yes. or like actually stand up and do a read oh no no definitely to read i would always suggest anyone to to, to read mm. who wants to get into it because the way you judge the people's reaction and stuff but definitely go home and read poetry uh-huh. and uh you know i've always i've never actually read poet i have now but i mean like before this like i know uh i read charles's work i bought his book he did he did a split chat book with brandon deal okay and i remember that was the first poetry book i actually read Oh, wow. Okay. That wasn't in high school. Right. You know, it wasn't in school. And um, and then, you know, I've read my friends' work. All my friends are putting out chat books now. And I, I, like, read their stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. But I just started buying actual, like, going to the store and going to the library and getting poetry books. Right. Because, you know, I feel like a hypocrite because I was always like, yeah, man, read and write poetry. But right. I wasn't doing it. Right, you know? right, right, right. <laughs> um, but I've had some moments now uh, reading poems where it just struck me. You know, and... um. And this is like, I was like, wow, man. Like, I didn't think I would actually have an effect like that. Because music's always done that for me. Right. But now, like, uh, I've had work, you know, poetry and fiction, <clears throat> stuff like that. And that's sometimes, you know, you get there, you're like, wow, that touched me. And that's when it hit me that this is all the same. All we're doing is expressing art, whatever it is we're expressing within ourselves. Right. You know, you do it through music. Right. Right. I do it through words. Right. And other people do it through painting. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, and I think we're all trying to do the same thing. Well, that's essentially why I started this thing. Because, yeah. uh, well, not why, but after doing it, because, you know, the music just wasn't, I couldn't get it going. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that being able to say what I actually think, you know, and, and put it into form of like, you know, monologue or narrative, whatever yeah. it is, was way easier and more satisfying than try to take, than trying to take up 10 lines in a song and really say what I had to say exactly. and not have to ha, not have to take things out and, you know, hope that it would be perceived the way I was, you know, and, and you know, kind of like we were talking about, you know, with the laboring over the words, yeah. set it right in the right direction where I know, like, you know, well, well this says this and this says this, but when the two combine, it's going to put them right where, you know, and hit them just as I, you know, there was too much luck involved. Exactly. And there's so many times when, which is one of the things that impressed me about uh, watching you read is because... I could easily visualize everything, like everything that you were saying, uh, you know, one after the next. And that, even at the rate that you, nice, that you read it, yeah. I could put it all into one uh, nice picture. And I've had moments where I can picture, I can see something just like that. And I'm like, I want to describe that. I want to put that in a song. I want to say this exactly. thought. Yeah. And I couldn't do it because there was just not enough lines or or maybe it was more me where I'm just like, I'm, I'm not, I don't think anyone's going to perceive it this way. Mm-hmm. Where this... You know, and the more that I do this, the better I get at it. You know, the more easily words come to me and, and yeah. you know, being able to put certain phrases together and, um, you know, just using vocabulary correctly and all that uh, gets easier for me. And I can look at, you know, the fact that I can look at it as this endless open thing 
um, even if you cherry pick the different parts of it. Totally, it's totally. not like an album where I have to get this whole big message out, song by song, get line it done by line, perfectly, or nothing's gonna work. Exactly, right? in ten songs, and then that's it. That can be it. There might be, you know, but then the next album might not have even any anything of the old narrative. Where this, you know, it can change. It can totally, you know, it can link, you know, uh, each episode all together. Yeah, you know, so that's why this is like been something that i've i've really been happy to sink myself into yeah man. and there's you know people around me they're like you know um i don't think they get it at the level that that i'm into it i you know they keep telling me like oh you know well you know when you get back to your music like yeah. almost like yeah, exactly. i've abandoned something and i'm like no i just shifted i just changed gears and this is my thing you know like i love That's, this it's so important and like it's funny man because you know back in the day uh-huh. if you wanted a radio show you had to go intern somewhere for a year or two, you know, or more. Right. Then maybe you peep on the radio once every little bit. Then they might throw you a little BS radio spot where every 30 seconds or a minute you've got to bring on some song and all this right. other crap and do radio reads. And now that the power of the radio industry is like God. Yeah. Right? Because of podcasting. <laughs> but And podcasting is it's art and it's also a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. I think that. When you podcast, you are literally being like a conduit, right, of of people, right? Because, like, um, my my podcast now, the Damien Rucci Hour, which is really just it's a reincarnation of my old podcast, my old podcast, Enlightening Sheep. All we wanted to do was just talk to people about real stuff, completely open, and we had a good run. You know, uh, we <laughs> so we did six episodes, right? Right. But we did very well with the six episodes. And then everything fell apart. This guy got a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. This guy got a new job. You know, so we abandoned that. And I took it back up uh, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And all I said was this. I said, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to spend money on equipment. I'm not going to spend money on software. I'm literally going to go bare bones until I can prove to myself, you know, that I could do this, uh, you know, keep going with it. Yeah. And also, I want to see if people care, right? Or if people are more interested in the content. So what I started doing was no intro, uh-huh. no editing. Uh-huh. I'm like, hey, I, I, whenever I say something, I'm like, yo, listen, I don't edit, so don't incriminate yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't, yeah. you know? And we just go. Yeah. And I found that people don't care. Uh-huh. You know, like, well, the, the people care, but I mean, like, I've never received a comment from my podcast, like, hey, man, where's your intro, or where's this? And eventually, of course, you know, we were talking a little bit before the podcast that I'm going to step up my game i want to get better equipment all these things but for now like i think this is the rawest form podcasting you're literally this is a direct connection to other people's headphones yes how profound is that yeah and huge and you're giving people voices like when you talk to people some of these people don't have that access they don't have that reach but uh with your podcast you know people this goes right to people's phones Uh whatever and like now those people they have a voice Right, talk. and that's what I think it's about. Because they can, they can email you exactly, or leave a comment. Yeah, you know, and if it's worded, just if it's the right comment, they've actually it's almost like feedback in a, in a stereo. Exactly, where it's like now they've become Part the of result it. of something you said, and it's coming right back out of your mouth. Yeah, back out to the listeners. And the craziest part is, somebody might be listening to this. Be like, you know what? These guys are right. I want to start a podcast. Uh huh. And <laughs> you know that's how it works. And that's why, like, especially with this. I try – I don't mind talking about, you know, be, or being real candid. You know, I had an edit slip in my 2016 episode, but I'm like, you know what? This has always been – like, as much as I try to clean it up, yeah. uh, at the beginning, I always wanted to kind of leave, 
you know, little bits of the curtain open and, and just kind of say things that, you know, a, you totally. know, a radio DJ wouldn't say, exactly. you know, 20 years ago because now there's like a whole behind the scenes thing. Because I want for that one person that, that would love to do this, that maybe doesn't even know they want to do this, who has no confidence and thinks that, like, I have this, like, you know, pristine, Super you know, dustless, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like all white, like, thing with, like, million dollar microphones and stuff to, <laughs> to, 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 to just, like, one day be doing whatever his job is, listening and be like, what? Like, holy shit, you just fucked up right there. I could just, like, you know, like, I could, yeah. I could do this. I could exactly. absolutely do this. You know, like, let me, I don't know, let me, you know, and, like, that's why I love how Andrew and like you do it over your phone. Yeah. And I never once, you know, I would have, would have never like been like, Oh, you need microphones. Like, no dude. Like that actually blew me out of the water because listening to what he was doing with his phone, I was just like, shit, man, this kid's on fire. I feel super terrible because Andrew never gave me the heads up that, he didn't want me to swear in his podcast, right? Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so we did this whole podcast, and I'm, I was in rare form. So I'm, I'm like, you know, fuck the government. Yeah, I'm going to have all of the walls, right? fuck storm. Yeah, fuck everywhere. <laughs> so then I heard the podcast. And, I, and, you know, he's very good at editing. But, like, yeah, you know, yeah. if you do this, right. you could tell when somebody edits a clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, he must have cut out, like, 30 fucks. <laughs> I feel terrible, man, because I was like, yo, you should have let me know. Because we did, like, a... A double one so we i did his podcast first right and then he did my podcast right right you know and uh and his i felt terrible <laughs> you know i was like dude I, you should let me know it's like oh it's not a big deal it took me six hours to edit it <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh oh that's huge yeah <laughs> click Click. <laughs> he was cursing me, man. He was, like, he was like, oh, this son of a bitch. Well, I mean, you know, because I don't think it's it's really the swearing. I think it's just the fact that he likes to keep everything really short of it. and compressed, you know? Yeah, but you know what? He has a different – he wants a different audience for this show, which is cool, man. Uh-huh. Like, like the way he does it, uh, I'm totally – like, that's his own thing. That's awesome. Right. Like, um, you know, I've been on two episodes there, and it's a good time, and that's the way he likes to do it. See, like, he doesn't, like – he likes it to be nice. All he wants to cram all that information. Yeah, it's like a half hour, right? Which is right. cool, or 15, 20 minutes. That's cool. That's why his editing comes comes in. Right. Me, I used to do three hour podcasts. Wow. Uh, I went in Lightning Sheep, which was cool, man. But like, uh, you know, we thought we were. This is what happens. We thought we were rock stars. Uh huh. You know, so we're drinking during podcasts. You know, uh, you know, we're smoking a little bit of ganja during right, the podcast. Right. You know, so <laughs> you'll you'll hear throughout these early podcasts. I took most of them down at the internet. Some of them still exist, <laughs> and you'll hear like lighters in the background, right. coughing. You know, <laughs> uh, but the way Andrew does, man, he just wants a nice and curt, and that's his, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. My friend Finbar, he has another thing he's doing. He's doing something completely different with podcasting. He's he's trying to do like a video podcast. Like, okay. that's a whole different route. I'm like, cool, and it's so cool that so many different people can do different things. Right, like, yeah. and uh, <clears throat> mine's gonna be this rough little beat up thing until, and eventually I want to step it up. Yeah, yeah you know yeah. that would that would be uh, that'd be cool because we all want that Joe Rogan studio. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that, I, honestly, when when these headphones go on and we we're fired up, I'm I'm in Times Square at the Sirius yeah. studio. That, that's where I that's where my yeah, office yeah, is, yeah, you know, yeah. in here. But uh, <laughs> it's awesome, man. <laughs> but uh, well, the thing with um with Andrew and that whole thing. Was, you know, I listened to, to his first six because he was working on new ones but had done the six and, like, was yeah. on hiatus or whatever. I was in the midst of gathering interviews and, you know, compiling my, you know, trying to figure out my format and all that. And, um, you know, and then he'd heard my format. You know, I'd heard his. And I think he was 
you know, as as some of us, you know, as most of us are affected, we yeah. hear, we hear something and we're like, why why, why am I not doing it that exactly. way? Exactly. You know, he's asking me questions about my thing, and then one day it just dawned on me. I'm like, you're doing like a news thing. I'm like, just do like compete with News Corp, man. I'm like, just exactly. Be Andrew, you know, like Andrew Robinson here reporting on, you know, like, and that's why I understand his, you yeah. know, on fire delivery, and, and that's cool, you right? Know? And that's, but you know, now like I'm I'm telling him I'm like because. Mainly his thing was he wanted to compress it to um, fit it in as little time as possible, but also because he was using the free format exactly. where he only had so many megabytes. Exactly. And I told him already, I said, when you pay for that thing and you have unlimited space, you're going to worry less about it. You're going to edit less. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but all this whole time you're doing this, you're just going to get way better at your delivery. And exactly. soon enough, you're going to be doing, you know, five edits just to get boop, all the boop, pieces boop, boop, together. Boop. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's going to be just be firing it off. So. And that's, you know. That's cool. It's like, because um, like he always jokes. This is what he always says all the time. <laughs> He's always like, "I'm gonna be the new Alex Jones. You're gonna be the new Joe Rogan of poetry." Right? right, right, right. <laughs> he says that all the time. <laughs> uh, and it's funny, man, with Andrew because I, I met Andrew at Brookdale, right? So uh, he was trying to keep a low profile. All I know is that my friend Finbar, who's a podcast host, and said he goes, "Hey, man, you want to meet my my boy?" Zen one. I'm like, <laughs> who the hell is that? He goes, President Zen. He's a, he's like this. He's a, an awake rapper. I'm like, oh, man. So I, then he brings me to the back of the library. OK, <laughs> there's a dude sitting in the back with his hood up looking real sketchy. And he's like, all of a sudden you see like smoke and like, <laughs> you know, you're parting like these canvas. Uh. <laughs> it, it, it was it was funny, man. It's funny because we did a podcast together back then um, the day after the Boston bombing. Oh, okay. First time we ever did any sort of podcast, it was me, Andrew, and my friend Finn, and we never like dropped it. God knows where it is. Probably on like one of Finn's old phones, right? <laughs> you know. Um, but it's funny. We all said there. We said we want a pod. Like, yo, I want a podcast, and we yeah. all said that together. And it's very telling that this is what three years ago, two years ago, that now I'm podcasting. Finn's working on podcasting, and Andrew's podcasting. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's uh, it's funny how things work, man. And we could never have done this if this was 20 years ago. No way. 10 years no ago. Way. To, 10 to years get ago. what we're doing now somewhere, two exactly. years would be – that, that, you know, and that's where rock and roll comes in. We'd have to break into a radio station, yep. you know, take it over, put it on the – you know, yeah. and like if we're lucky and we were good at it, yeah. you know, the, the audience would, oh, this is amazing, you know what I mean? But then otherwise there'd be the 10,000 other idiots like, this is shit, arrest that guy, put him in jail. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. had a gun. You're like, you know, like, <laughs> this is a hostage situation. You got Andrew with the anonymous mask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's covered in holding radio stations hostage. You know. <laughs> What's your name? Z1, Z1. <laughs> it's, we got uh, a live one here. Yeah, it's like uh, we're so fortunate. A lot of people like to shit on our – the, the time we have now like oh it sucks now i'm the opposite i'm super optimistic i think what's going on now in the world there's there, there's dark pockets right there always is dark pockets let it let me bring up genghis khan you know what i mean like mm-hmm. that was and it's like that's relevant it's, yeah you know they, that was his movement that was well, his, it's like look think at about me. this i'm president of everything <laughs> i just think that socially we got what's going on in this country we have our technology and you know the world and largely we're coming <clears> together a lot you know we have we have ISIS and crap like that, but you know we've de- there's been darkness every step of the way. Just nowadays it's different, right? So if somebody's shot in Kazakhstan, me and you will know immediately on our cell phones, right? Okay, but ten years ago that wasn't the case. Thirty years ago, forty years ago, you wouldn't be able to know. You just wait till it was on television or in the newspaper. Right. A hundred years ago, you know, like so. 
it's just that everything's in the forefront now. But also, man, look what we could do, man. It's like this. Like, I met all these people just through so- social media. Like, Charles and Brandon, all these people, all mm-hmm. these poets uh, who I'm really close with now. That's straight through Facebook and Twitter. I saw Brandon on Twitter, and I said, man, how do I be like you? He had all these – he's publishing all these journals. He had, like, 20,000 Twitter followers. I was like, how do I be like you? He's like, yo, add me. And <laughs> But – if this was 20 years ago, I would have never met him like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that... And there was there would be no way he'd offer you his, <laughs> his stream of, of yeah, yeah. attention and audience. Exactly. He, he wouldn't be like, yeah, man, no problem. That was the coveted thing. Well, Nowadays, email it's so <laughs> accessible, even though, like, you know, you you can go from not having it to having it. Like, you, you can be the one that doesn't have it. It's so accessible that it's actually, um, you know, lost, I guess, its, it's, it's value in a way where you're more... Uh, likely to get something back to share it because yeah. then you grow someone else's audience and then you're connected to something that's, you know, exponentially exactly. bigger than you are. Well, that's why it's like, um, I'm so surprised that there's actually a decent amount of podcasting going on in this state. Right. But we're so discombobulated, right? Like I, um, you know, you never heard of me until Andrew. Mm-hmm. I never heard of you until Andrew. Right. And, but I have, I have friends at Union Beach. Uh, my friend uh, Matt Mendez does this dork discussion podcast. And my friend Walter Wicko does the Enemy Base podcast. I had no idea of none of them until I actually dug in and looked at it. Right. Like, we are so, like, lucky that this is going on. But the problem is that we had to reach out more. Like, us, people who podcast, people who do art. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah, yeah. like, we're using the internet for the wrong things, you know. Yeah. Too many people are oh, sharing yeah. stupid memes, you know. Cat videos. Cat videos, right. <laughs> Share all these things when they can be networking, you yeah. know, like, because. Um, well, here, let me let me throw this. Let me get back to the subject yeah. of, uh, of, of the time that we're in right now. Totally. As far as, as broadcasting, you know, as the overall topic. A running theory I've been playing with in my head, mm-hmm. and I'm going to put it out there now since I have the opportunity we, we hit the, uh, yeah. the the subject, is that the time we're in right now is a good time, like mm-hmm. you were saying, because we've had these, these, this older generation, you know, the John Stewart's, the Mark Marins, the Joe Rogans, yeah. do all the legwork exactly. to bring podcasting to where it is right now. Mm-hmm. But what I want to put out there is the fact that this is a good time, and what we're doing is good, and, and the bigger hustle that we put into this, the, the more returns we're going to get. But this whole era of like people like oh can i pay for the channels that i want can i pay for the you know this and that like i really truly believe that we are at if not the last legs like right in the middle of the end of this whole free cast thing where it's going to literally be where you're on your television paying you know 195 for an episode of your favorite show you know because there's no more, you know, cable networks or whatever. You're going to be paying, you know, a dollar for an hour-long podcast, you know, per per listen, whatever. Where right now, if we do the work, we will be able to create, you know, the network that we need and, and you know, have the audience and everything where we won't be affected so much where it's, you know, we're going to lose this big audience. Like, we, it'll just be like a transition that we make. But I really, truly believe that this whole era of, like, all this hard work that these actors and these directors and all these networks are doing that, you know, because um, we've kind of lost the, the whole thing where, like, if you're on TV, you're a millionaire. Like, no, exactly. these people are working stiffs just like us. Yeah. Actually, but they only work once a month, you know, and have to stretch that dollar, you know, so they're almost in the same boat, except we see them every day. You know, so, like, the fact that we're here now in this, you know, basement doing this, like, yeah. it's a good thing. We're only, we're only you know, slated to, to, to do better things and bigger things. But I really, truly believe that we're going to get what we want, but it's going to mm-hmm. be in the form of literally paying for every single thing. You I know? think it's going to be a little bit different. I like that idea because I do believe there's going to be a, a further collapse uh-huh. 
of the gatekeepers, right? So we've seen the music industry plummet. Yeah. For largely good reasons, right? Because <laughs> these bastards uh-huh. were getting paid so much money. I remember the used years ago. They did this whole thing about how they wanted people to torrent their album because they don't make nothing. They make like 10 cents per album. Right. It's the shows where they get paid. So we had that collapse. The book industry largely collapsed. Barnes & Noble's closing 16,000 stores. Wow. So, But that's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. I think we're moving towards smaller distribution. Uh-huh. And I think that um, – I don't think we're ever going to see where you have to pay for a podcast. I think we're going to see um, more companies invest in podcasts. So right right now – we'll talk about this later after the show. Um, you can approach anywhere to, to sponsor your podcast, and 99% they'll say yes. Right. Because podcasting is money to the ears. Right. And they'll give you a coupon code or whatever. So a lot of companies are already ready for that. And they don't care if you have 10 listeners. They're like, whatever. But I think we're going to see that brought to a new level because no one wants to pay for a podcast. Like um, Artie Lang, he used to be on Howard Stern. Uh-huh. He has a podcast, and um, it was subscription-based. Right? You used to pay, like, what was it, nine ninety nine a month? Right. He got a bunch of lists, a bunch of people because he was on the Howard Stern. But he never expanded, right? It, because a lot of, that's a big thing to, to get through to pay. Yeah. Because yeah. how many podcasts? There's millions that are free. I think we're going to see – uh, advertising go to a whole other level, and I don't mean like uh, an actual commercial. I mean like uh, ad reads and things like that. I think mm-hmm. that these big companies are starting investing in us little guys, and I also think we're not. We might not see podcasts ever get to that Mark Marin, Joe Rogan level again. I think what might happen is that instead of that, you might instead of having like four, five, or ten big guys, big guys yeah. you might have a thousand decent sized guys, and I think that's what we're looking at here. Because so you 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 believe that it'll be rather than, you know what it was one strong corporation yes. sucking everything dry, then it got broken up into you know mm-hmm. fifty or a hundred you know s- smaller like you're thinking it's gonna even up. go even small to like you know a hundred thousand yeah. mm-hmm. really small things that this one big thing can yep. plug into where it's just pennies and nickels and dimes coming yep. in at a time. I think it's gonna be media's gonna be completely accessible to everyone. Your choice, mm-hmm. right? So everyone's crying about Barnes and Noble collapsing. We knew that was going to happen, but I think what we're going to see is a return to small bookstores. Right. Because a lot of small bookstores are doing great right now. Right. And I right. think they're going to do even better. And I think with the vacuum of Borders being gone largely and Barnes & Noble, we'll have a vacuum available where smaller bookstores will rise again, mom and pop shops, and a real return of art back to the people. And we're going to see that, I think, across the board. I hope. Yeah, I hope yeah. we well, don't I mean, see the with, government with books. You get know, involved. the physical copies still exist. Yeah, and um, even with like a limited press, because nowadays they don't make as many as they used to. If they're all out there being read, that creates the demand for exactly. maybe you know just to pump out like a hundred thousand more rather than like you know a million copies or whatever, but just like totally. little by little to just feed the the necessary markets. Yeah, like uh, and I think that's gonna happen, man, because people are into books again, and uh, it's. I was talking to that poet, John Dorsey, and he told me, he's like, you know, more journals, like magazines, mm-hmm. are in print now than ever in the history of the world. Oh, wow. Right? And um, I learned something interesting with my own. I released a chat book through Indigent Press, which is um, this press that me and Charles founded, Brandon Deals on Board, and Lynn Alexander, uh, where we make chat books, little 12 poems books. Right. You know? And uh, I put mine out there. And I thought I was going to move... You know, I'm going to move a thousand, you know, the the opening day, right? Um, We did a hundred print run and I moved just about every single book over the course of a month. Differently, though, I saw like I would go out to these readings and I would do a reading Uh and people would buy the book because they saw me read. 
and they were entertained. And these are people that you would never think would would would, would read, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that there is a demand for it because we're seeing, at least from our angle, right, and seeing the way things, because me and Charles, we're seeing our chapbook. We're going to places people are buying our chapbooks. They're doing these things. So at least from our angle, people are at least interested in that aspect. And I, I really hope that that carries on to other factors because I would hate to see any medium go away. Right. Right. And I don't think we're going to see that ever because there's so many people who are reading now with these Kindles and with the phones now, man, I got a five inch screen on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I just crazy, you know? Yeah. So and the amazing thing about that is you can watch a movie, you could read a book, you could listen exactly. to a podcast. A magazine, even magazines look watch great on my video. phone. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I wasn't into magazines because, you know, they're cumbersome and stuff like that. But it's like on my phone, I could go to New York Times with it, like a 99 cent subscription. Right. And I could full color. You know, so things are definitely going to change. And I think a lot of the issues, a lot of people are scared of the change. Uh-huh. No one wants to make that big change. Like uh, like when radio, terrestrial radio, man, it lost a lot of power when satellite came. And now here we are. We're like the evolution of satellite. Right. We're digital. Right. People don't like that, right? Because there's no <clears throat> gatekeepers, man. Because any guy with a microphone or a phone can do a podcast. Yeah. And that's the power of... And I think that is what we're going to see, man. I think we're going to see the further disillusionment of all these huge gatekeepers that limited art. And for better and worse, what mm-hmm. that means is that we'll see a whole bunch of new great shit come out. But but uh, saturation, complete yes. saturation of every of every medium. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, when um, when Create Space and all these self-publishers came, came out where you can just go to them and they'll publish your book because all they are is a printer. Right. What we saw, we saw some great books come out. And we all saw a whole lot of shit come out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a whole lot. Right, right, But right. that's part of it, man. And I think that's what life is in itself. You yeah. know? And I think that all the shit that comes out really makes the good ones shine. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it, no matter what, there's the contrast. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, just through word of mouth and whatever, it'll get to you somehow. Yeah. Facebook or, you know, Instagram or whatever. Yeah, man. I think that's, I think that, that's what, what we're looking at. So what do you have on your plate for, uh, for the coming – for 2016. 2016, I got a lot going on, man. Right. You know, I've been very fortunate that all these things are really coming into vogue. Um, January 30th, we're doing a big reading in Harrison, New Jersey. I've got readings in February um, at uh, Mount Holly. We're doing a big reading there on the 26th. In March, I got a reading in Ventnor. I got a reading at the New Yorican. Um, and also, I'm going on a tour, which uh, really just landed in, in my plate. I can't say too too much because it wasn't publicly announced yet. Okay. But I'll be doing a reading at a conference in the Midwest, and then I'll be taking a tour from there down throughout the South and then back back home. Awesome. So, so that'll awesome. be April. And well, <laughs> funny, when you get more details, you can uh, definitely hit me up. You can yeah. Posted. You know, definitely. I'll run man. it right back on this thing. Yeah, so, thanks, yeah. man. Uh, the funniest part is we'll see how that goes because. Uh, we know how we're going to get there. We just don't know how we're going to get home. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I was like, I was like, Hey babe, it's not a big deal. You know, like, you know, Kansas city is a beautiful city. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we'll chill there for a while. You know, Transplant. whatever. How'd you yeah. get here? <laughs> Funny story. Yeah. All you started got, at this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Do you got a hundred bucks? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as, as for that, man, we're trying to do bigger stuff. Um, I, I host a pot, uh, not a podcast that too but i host an open mic um every it's the first and third thursday of the month at espresso joe's so the way i look at this is that i got all my readings going on i'll be trying to just get out there as much as possible but also i'm really trying to like get this younger crowd that's been coming out i'm really trying to get them on the mic as well and really trying to like 
I don't want to say craft their poetry because, you know, I'm, I don't believe I'm at that level where people should be, you know, studying my poetry for right, advice. Right, right. But I really want to just give more and more people the, the ability to get on the mic and uh, really try to spread poetry out to other people. That's like my goal. Right. You know, and right. um, I got another chapbook coming out next summer uh, with my friend Dylan Hart called Poems from Westbrook. Right. Which is about where, where we grew up and stuff like that. So that's like what's on my plate for now. You know, a whole bunch of stuff might come out of nowhere, but right. so I'm looking at I'm looking at a pretty interesting year. You know, uh, last year was not like this at all. The end was, but uh, you know, last year I, I just worked as a butcher. <laughs> you know, there you go. Hey, hey you know <laughs> hey. something. Not for now that I did. I watched a YouTube video about a half an hour long video of how to cut up a pig, yeah. a whole pig one day. And you know, by the end of it, I'm just like, this is a thing. This is like people love. Like this is like a a, a real craft. It's um, it's crazy. Uh huh. Did because, you do the whole apprenticeship and uh, uh, yeah, yeah. For the knives and everything? And all I, that? I went through the – so I've been doing, like, butchery thing. I worked in a meat room for five years. Um, I left that, that, that job, and I ended up getting a job at this other place where they made me an apprentice quick, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it was really, really interesting because I was just doing that, and, like, you don't realize how disillusioned everyone is with the way we get our food. Right. So we would now – when we when you boat something up, you put something in like their styrofoam like things. You put like these diaper things there that yeah. absorb some of the fluids and blood. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it's really bloody. So people would come over the counter and be like, "Sir, there's a uh, there's blood on my steak." I'd be like, "Yeah, are you aware this thing was walking around like two weeks ago?" There's blood in your steak. <laughs> and people are just so disillusioned with that. Yeah, yeah. So that was a sobering experience being a butcher. It's um. It's a hard job. I might go go back there for a little bit. You know, that's always a craft that I have. Right. Where if I ever need, I desperately need a job. I yeah. can always go to any supermarket and take their test. Right. right you right. know, but um, definitely a job not for the faint-hearted. You know, and uh, you meet a lot of characters. <laughs> I worked I with I Vietnam vets, old hippies, yeah, crazy guys. You know, <laughs> I worked with this one dude, man. I'm sure, the opinions on the on the uh, the vegan trend were, uh, <laughs> were flying all day long. <laughs> I uh I worked with this guy, okay, who who escaped Cuba, right? <laughs> Went back to Cuba for the Bay of Pigs invasion. Right. Was stranded there by the US government, came back, went to Vietnam, did all these things, and I was like, uh that's crazy, man. So like, why did you become a butcher? This old Cuban man looked at me and said, "Cuz I like to see blood." <laughs> and I was like, "All right." <laughs> And uh, you know what? God bless him, man. That guy's eighty something years old. Moves better than I do. And he's still <laughs> like seeing blood. Yeah, he's, 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 he's got the cleaver. He's just coming. I was like, oh, great, man, great. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Damien, was good talking, man. Yeah, man, totally. This was a great time, man. Yeah, and uh, and definitely um, keep me posted on the tour. I certainly will. And uh, and uh, you know anything. Anything cool pops up, let me know. I'll get you back on the phone or something. Yeah, totally, man. I definitely want to have you on on mine as well. Absolutely. Hell yeah, man. Awesome. Thanks for the great time, brother.
The cup wasn't half full. It was half gone down my esophagus. And when the chemicals took hold, a series of cerebral arcs conjured images that would flood Mesopotamia as I searched through a violent deluge to find traces of God. For me, survival was a few orange capsules washed down with whiskey. But even though my sober mornings burned like supernovas on my bloodshot retinas, self-induced oblivion was the only cure I could find to numb the darkness of my loneliness and isolation that lived at night like a vacancy sign. But now that I've done all that and then some, nothing has really changed, except for the fact that I'm still alive and I'm still searching. <laughs> so, you know, being healthy is like this really big trend now, and I'm all about it, you know? I hope you guys enjoyed the show today. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation and uh, all the new little things that I threw in there today. Um, kind of just been evolving as the days go by. I'm into a couple different things that... I'll be talking about in later episodes. I'm going to keep this one fairly short since uh, the show's already running about an hour and a half. So I will just point you in the direction of Mr. Charles Joseph at uh, charlesjosephlit.com. That's his website. You can find out where he's you know, going, uh, where, where he has been, who he's hanging out with. And uh, Damian Rucci. You can find him on all the uh, popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram. Sure, you can find him online somewhere. He's doing the, the um, words on Main, Asbury Park. He does things in the Keyport area. He's actually um, booked himself on a tour as of recent. So uh, just look for them. Check out their names. Uh, throw them in the browsers and, uh, and see if you could hit them up uh, out on the road. And I will see you again at another time. And uh, we will do this again. You guys have a good night. A good day or, or whatever it is you're doing right now good drive hopefully you're not stuck in traffic or or uh in an elevator shaft or uh, in a boring meeting somewhere and uh yeah that's it man just have fun right <laughs> <laughs>